This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Thing this year, trust in the Lord. Really simple. Um, there's going to be times, maybe even today, that you had to stop yourself and say, hey, I'm just going to trust in the Lord on that. There's definitely going to be opportunities this week for you to trust the Lord in this. How does this fit into the life of our church? What does this mean for us uh, in the year ahead? We'll take a look at that here tonight. Psalm 37, we'll start in verse number one. I'll read through verse number five. Again, if you notice, it starts here with a difficult situation in the midst of trials and maybe even suffering. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. They shall soon be shut, cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so thou shalt dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. As we take a look at what God wants for our church this year, it's interesting to note that uh, while we have 40 to 50 people that we're sending ahead, and as we get into the summer months, we'll uh, have a lot more people that we're saying goodbye to, and that's a, that's a good thing because they get to take what they learned here to who we call and send it on. I'm not really sure, and again, I don't know because I'm not God. I'm not sure that God wants to replace all 50 of those people with 50 new people. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, and I'm okay with it either way. Here's what I do know that God wants for Huikala this year. God wants to grow Huikala in faith this year for sure. God speaks very rarely throughout Scripture about increasing people numerically. If anything, God does the opposite. If you remember the story of Gideon, God kept cutting guys out of Gideon's army until he just had a, a faithful few group of people that God says, okay, this is enough for me. I, I've cut enough. I've trimmed enough. So we see that God doesn't always want to grow groups of people numerically, but you can see all throughout Scripture from the beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, God always wants to grow people in faith, always. You take a look at the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. We talked about it briefly this morning, but it's a list of men and women who just lived by faith, and God calls them out. Again, when we take a look at the New Testament, we don't find a lot of, uh, of callbacks to the Old Testament. Hebrews is a, is a big one for that as far as people's concerned. Hebrews calls back to people who lived not by in great numerical or, or built anything in numbers. He calls back to people who lived by faith. And I know for us as a church family, God's going to give us opportunities this year to live by faith, and we need to seize those opportunities. But as you can understand, who we call is not made up of the large mass of corporate uh, people. It's made up of individual persons. And so if God's going to grow our church by faith this year, he needs to grow you by faith this year. He needs to grow me by faith this year. We may or may not grow numerically. I don't know. And I don't want to be ugly or unkind, but frankly, at the end of the day, I don't really care as long as we're growing by faith. That's the most important part. It's interesting. Early on in, in, in our ministry, when we started Huicala back in 2013, uh, we used to have a clipboard on the back table 
that had the ushers count for the day. How many people were in nursery and how many people were in super church and how many people were in the main auditorium. And after the service was over, after I shook everybody's hand and talked to everybody, first thing I would do, go back to the back table and I would take a look to see how many people we had in church on a Sunday morning. And man, it was exciting. Our very first Sunday, we had 86 people. I mean, it was just exciting and buzzing. And the second week we had, we had probably, I don't know, 60 or so people. Then the next week we had about 40 or so people. And then we settled somewhere around like low 30s. Uh, finally, it all shook out. It's like, oh, that's okay. We know this is what we're going to work with. But every week I would go back, and if we had 45 the week before, and now we have, you know, 38, I'd be like, man, we're failing, we're losers, we're not going to make it, and I'm a terrible pastor, and I should probably just quit before we ever get started. And, and no lie, that began to mess with me. But then, then something really interesting happened. Is I, again, I'm a data guy. I love looking at, at spreadsheets and flowcharts and data and numbers and year-over-year year numbers and uh, things like that. But what I realized is we had a check mark, a, a, a box there where you filled in how many you know, babies were in the nursery and how many kids were in super church and how many people were in the main auditorium. But there wasn't a line item there where we could fill in a, a, a chart of how many people read their Bible that week. How many people prayed with their kids for the first time that week. Somebody who memorized their very first scripture ever. There wasn't a line item for that. There wasn't a line item for somebody who, you know, was kind to their kids this week. There wasn't a, a chart where we could mark where somebody walked in the spirit this week. And then I realized things like numbers are helpful for figuring out how many chairs we should set up, how many notes we should print out. Things like that aren't helpful for understanding the health of a church. Churches can be incredibly large numerically and be incredibly unhealthy. Churches can be very small numerically and be spiritually healthy. Now, I'm a firm proponent that healthy things will grow, that if we're a part of a healthy, thriving, spiritually healthy church, I think that people will desire to be a part of a healthy, growing church as well. And so I believe there's a little bit of correlation. But at the end of the day, I'm not praying that God will increase our church necessarily numerically this year. I'm praying that God would increase our faith this year. Because if I can grow in my faith and you can grow in your faith, and the person to the left and the right of you will grow in their faith, and the person in front of you and behind you will grow in their faith. What will that do for the health and faith of our church? I think it's going to do things that we can't really necessarily put on a spreadsheet somewhere. And that's the things that we look for, right? God very rarely, again, praises numbers in the Bible. If anything, he told David, David, don't count how many soldiers you have. Don't number them. Don't take a census. I am enough. Just trust me. But so many times people want to trust in numbers or what they can get accomplished or what they think is capable. I want us to trust in the Lord this year. To do what he wants us to do this year is going to require some unconditional surrender, though. It's going to require man, woman, boy, girl to come to a place in our faith this year where we say, God, you're 100% in charge of everything in my life, 100%. For, for Angel and I, when we first started walking with Jesus, I would say that Jesus was about 50% in charge. <laughs> there was areas of my life where I was willing to give. I didn't have a problem whatsoever uh, giving my time on a Sunday morning. I had no problem tithing. I was taught from a, from a kid. A Christian's tithe, that's what they do. I had no problem taking 10% of our income and putting that in the offering basket every single week because that's just what Christians did in my estimation. I struggled when you want time of mine outside of a Sunday morning. No, 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 that's my time. Uh, you're asking me to give up music that I enjoy listening to. No, 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 that's my music. You want me to watch movies that don't dishonor the Lord and contain filth and garbage. No, no, no. 
God can have that other stuff, but this stuff here belongs to me. That's not a life of surrender. Hey, I'm willing to serve God as long as it doesn't encroach on my me time. Hey, I'm willing to serve God with my life as long as it's something that I enjoy doing. That's not surrender. But when we come to the point where we say, God, my life belongs to you. Use it as you see fit. God begins to do things that you and I can't fathom. But it requires that unconditional surrender. No lie. Whenever we felt like God calling us back to Honolulu to plant who we call him. <laughs> top 10 list of things you want to do in your life. Pastor didn't crack my top 100. Not something that I want to do. Number one fear of the majority of Americans is public speaking. Number one fear of Anthony King, snakes. Uh, number two, fear of Anthony King, public speaking. Uh, I just don't enjoy it. But again, am I trying to find something that I want to do with my life? Or am I trying to do something that would please and honor and give glory to God with my life? And there had to come a point where it's just like, hey God, it's not about me, it's all about you. What, what do you want from me? I realized by our family moving back to the city of Honolulu, this meant that my kids would be about 5,000 miles away from their nearest family member. I knew that going into it. I knew that we would very rarely ever travel back to the mainland to see our, our family together as a family. And no lie, in nine years, we've never all six of us gotten on a plane and flown to, to visit family, ever. And I knew that coming in. My kids have never in their entire life had their grandparents at their, their birthday party. Never happened. I knew that going into it. And I'm not saying that because I want you to feel sorry for me because I don't feel sorry for myself or my children because I've given them something greater. I've given them an example of unconditional surrender to God. And here's what God does is that when you unconditionally surrender to him, he doesn't leave you hanging. My kids have never sat in a corner and cried at their birthday party because their grandparents weren't there. They didn't know that that was even a thing. They would be shocked if their grandparents came to a birthday party because all they know is that my church family is my family. That's all they know. But sometimes people would say, well, I, I don't want to do that. We'd be too far away from family. I, I don't want to do that. We might have to give up a little to do that. Hey, it'd be a lot easier if we were somewhere else. It's, it's always funny when people begin to talk about everywhere else. It's always a place where, you know, we can buy land or a place where we can spread out or where we can have a bigger house or a three-car garage or uh, we can have horses or we can have a place to ride our four-wheelers or we can ride snowmobiles. Very rarely in that conversation of where we could go, which is where can we advance the kingdom as a family? Very rarely does that get factored into the, the equation. But friends, I'm just asking you this. Would you factor the kingdom into your life decisions that you make? Like, not like, well, snowmobiles and family and birthday parties, and then I guess, I mean, there's probably a church that we could go to. That's not factoring, that's making it an afterthought. Where can I maximize God's glory in my life? Where can I maximize God's glory with my family? Where can we advance the kingdom and where can we grow together? That requires unconditional surrender. I'm so thankful for people who throughout the years have uh, retired from whatever work that they were doing and chose to stay here in Honolulu to great financial detriment because they believe in what God's doing through this church. I, I appreciate that. 
And when I say financial detriment, it's not like these people are broke or they're poor or they're wondering where their next meal's coming from. It's just to say, how many of you know $100,000 goes a lot further in Iowa than it does in Honolulu, right? And I don't know what's happening in Iowa, but it's something I'm sure, right? But here's the fact of the matter. Are we willing to follow God unconditionally or not? Am I willing to, to give my life in service to God? God, whatever you want me to do, I am willing to do it 100%. If you ask me uh, to take my vacation and go visit a missionary on the foreign field, I'm willing to do that at great expense to myself because I want to be an encouragement to our missionaries and I want to advance the kingdom and I want God to use my life. Are you willing to do that or are you just like, oh, my vacation time's me time? Well, I, I don't want to give to missions because that's the money that I was saving for whatever, you know? I'm talking about having an eternal mindset, eternal perspective. I'm talking about trusting in the Lord. Because here's the thing about God. We can trust Him. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He's always good. You can trust Him. I'm not, I'm, look, I'm not asking you to trust in my Uncle Zeke. Well, who's your Uncle Zeke? And how can we trust him? I don't know. I'm asking you to trust in someone who has an eternal track record of faithfulness. Eternal. God's not just been faithful for like the last 2,000 years, although he has. He's been faithful for eternity past. He'll be faithful to eternity future. And you and I are scratching our head going like, huh? I don't really know if I can trust him. I promise you, you can. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, Paul challenges the church at Thessalonica. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Hey, if God asks you to do something, he's always going to keep his end of the bargain 100% of the time. Always. God will never ask you to do something that you are incapable of doing, ever. And again, as I mentioned this morning, many times it's not a matter of can or can, it's a matter of will or won't. Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 5, every word of God is pure. He's a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Think about that. He's a shield to those that put their trust in him. In biblical times, there was, there was typically two different types of shields that were used in battle. There was the buckler. The buckler is a, a smaller shield that can be worn on the forearm. Uh, the word buckler is not a word that's used in our vocabulary today, but when you think of buckler, think of like a Captain America shield. It could not only be used to defend attacks, but it could also be used to, to hit as a weapon. The Bible tells us that God is a buckler, but this verse here says, for those that put their trust in the Lord, he's a shield to them. The other type of shield that was found in biblical times was one that was usually about three quarters the height of a, of a soldier that they could stand behind and find a place of safety. That's the type of shield that it's talking about here. Almost a full body shield that one could stand behind and be completely and totally safe from the enemy. So when you put your trust in the Lord, you can stand behind him and he's going to take all the heat for you. Guaranteed. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He will never fail. Do you realize that people have been waiting for God to fail for thousands of years? Just one time, people tear apart the Bible trying to find some inconsistency, something that doesn't stand up to truth and they can't find it because it's not there because God will never fail. The Word of God will never fail. You can trust Him. Like if there's anything that you can put your trust in, it's the Lord. If there's anything that will never fail, it's the Lord. But man, people put their faith in the stock market. I remember a guy a couple of years ago was trying to tell me 
bro, crypto will never fail. Cryptocurrency, it's the way. You got to get in on Bitcoin. You need to cash out everything you got in retirement and put it in Bitcoin. And I was just like, no. <laughs> because here's the thing. The book of Proverbs gives great warnings to those who desire to be rich. Those who desire to be rich quickly, the, the Bible gives great concern, concern to. Don't do that. And so I was just like, ah, I don't think that's wise. You know, again, I, I got a, a financial advisor who kind of handles my, my stuff. I'm just going to give it to him and let it ride. And man, people have lost their shirt in like the last six months over cryptocurrency. Why? Because they desire to get rich quickly. And people are willing to say things like, oh, this Bitcoin thing, it's a, it's a no lose. You cannot lose until you lose, right? Oh, man, this particular stock, you can't lose on that, you know? And again, I mean, you just have to pay attention. What's the next, uh, you know, stock that's a can't lose that's getting ready to crash and burn? Man, Bed Bath & Beyond's going to die. I mean, look at it. It's sad, sad times. Last time I went to one at Pearl Ridge, no lie, my wife and I were in there like three months ago. She had to get something uh, there that only they had on island. I drove out there, and for those of you that don't know, the Bed Bath & Beyond in, in, in IAEA is the same building where Circuit City used to be, right? It's just a death trap is what it is, right? <laughs> Like, whatever goes in there next, you're just going to die. Uh, and so uh, we drove out there, no lie, the, the, the shells were bare, and they got, like, all their fixtures spaced, like, out by, like, you know, 30 feet between each fixture. And I said, this is what a store looks like right before it dies. And no lie, <laughs> died. You can't put your trust in stocks. You can't put your trust in companies. You can always trust the Lord. Amen. It's a no-lose. You will not fail. Put your trust in him. He's trustworthy. But you see, faith is a really interesting thing when it comes to trusting God. You see, you may not realize this, but our lack of faith will limit what God actually wants to do. Now again, if I were to say to you, like, hey, can we limit God? All of us would say, no, there's no way that you can limit God. God is limitless. Not, God is not bound by our constraints. But there are things that God wants to do for us that we lack the faith for him to do. For, for those of you that have children, you'll understand this. Hey, would you like me to give you a hand with that? No, I've got it. Okay, fine. And you sit back and you watch your kids fail, right? Because, like, hey, I'm going to teach them a lesson. God's the same way. Hey, can I give you a hand with that? And we say, nope, we got it. And God's like, okay, fine. We see it in Mark chapter 6. Verse number five, Jesus went back to his hometown. And he said, man, a prophet doesn't have any respect in his own hometown. And here's what he said in Mark chapter uh, six, verse number five and six, what the Bible says of Jesus. He could do there no mighty work save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the village just teaching. Jesus showed up to do something awesome to do something exciting. And nobody had the faith to let him do it. It's just like, oh great, here's Jesus. You guys remember Jesus, he's Joseph's kid. And Jesus healed a couple of sick folk, it says. It's always interesting that Mark says a couple of sick folk. That uh, sounds like something my grandma would say. <laughs> Laid his hands on some sick folk, and then what did he do? He went and taught, because Nobody was ready for what he was getting ready to do. Nobody had the faith. And here's the thing. Jesus was shocked by their lack of faith. 
And it's always interesting to me. Uh, again, read through the gospel sometimes. Find the things that shocked Jesus, right? The things that Jesus marveled at. You know what it's always connected to? Anybody want to help me? Faith. Somebody said it over there. Good for you. Somebody's paying attention. Faith. The centurion. Hey, I got a dude that's sick. Can you come and heal him? And Jesus says, I'll be there. Oh, you don't even have to come. Just say the word and it'll happen. And Jesus marveled at his faith. Whoa, I haven't seen any faith like this. This guy has got the faith. And Jesus was like shocked. By the same token, Jesus goes to perform some great miracles and nobody believes. And Jesus is shocked by their lack of faith. Man, so if there's something that gets Jesus' ears to perk up, it's always faith. And Jesus wants to do something in your life and mine this year, and we got to have the faith that he can do it. God wants to do something for our church this year. He wants to see more people saved, more people baptized, more people discipled, more people growing in their faith, marriages restored, children wanting to follow Jesus with their whole heart. But it requires a little bit of faith on our part that it can actually happen. And you say, well, I don't really know how that works. And it works like this. 3.30 rolls around, you just woken up from your Sunday afternoon nap, and you're just like, ah, oh, we could get to the 5 o'clock service, but I'm tired, got a full day at work tomorrow. Ah, I think I'll catch it on the podcast. You just showed a lack of faith. It wouldn't do me any good to be there. I could just listen to it on the internet. You have made a faith decision in that moment. Now, do I believe that you have to be here 52 times a year on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night to be a good Christian? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you will make faith decisions that will either grow your faith this year or decimate your faith this year. Totally up to you. But they're faith decisions. Get that. And God wants to increase your faith. He wants to grow your faith. He wants to grow our church's faith. But the decisions that we make will determine whether or not that actually happens. Our lack of stewardship will also limit what God wants to do as well. Normally by this time of the year, I've, I've done the math on last year and figured out how many people we had saved and baptized and first-time guests and things like that. Our first-time guests last year was probably, I would say, somewhere families, like a single person makes up a, a family unit. Somebody with five kids makes up a family unit. Families that we had last year, probably 700 first-time guest families last year. And some of those were here on vacation. Some of them just moved to the city. Some of them were here for a weekend or something like that. Some of them were family members of yours that came and things like that. But 700 guests unit families. I don't know what that equates to. Over 1,000 people came to who we call it for the first time last year. Man, praise God for that. Did you know that there are churches in America that had zero first-time guests last year? None. Like, it's just like Uncle Joe and Aunt Mabel and, like, their kids. And, like, that's all that's ever been there for, like, the last 20 years. Last year, if I were guessing just off the top of my head, I'd say last year we had the opportunity to probably baptize 20 to 25 people, probably more than that. I'm just going to be conservative and say 25, two dozen people. Did you know that the average Baptist church in America in 2021 baptized two people? The average that means for every church to baptize six, there were three that baptized zero. I think many times we lose sight of the fact that God's doing something really, really special here. This is not happening in every church in Honolulu. It's not happening in every church in America. God's doing something special here. 
And so we can sit back and go, oh, that's really cool. Or we can say, wait, 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 wait. If God's doing something special, we don't want to waste it. If God's doing something unique, we don't want to blow that off and make it like it's not a big deal. We need to steward that well. We need to manage that well. If first-time guests are coming to who we call them, we want to make sure that they feel welcome, that they feel loved, that they find a place, that they get invited to a small group, that they get invited over to someone's home, that we're praying for them, that we're encouraging them, that we're following up with them. We want to steward that because if we don't, here's what the Bible says. Jesus gives a parable. Three servants. One was given five talents. One was given two and one was given one. And what did the one with one talent do? He buried it. And God says, I want you to take that talent and give it to the one who has 10 talents because he was a poor steward of it. And no lie, here's the biblical principle. If you don't manage what God's given you, he's going to take it and give it to somebody else. There's a person out there that God wants to reach with the gospel, and if you're not going to reach them, somebody else will. There's a marriage that God wants to heal, and if you're not willing to be invested and help somebody heal their marriage, they'll go somewhere else and get it done. And God has people that he wants to be loved and encouraged and be a part of our family here. And if we don't steward that well, we're going to miss out on an opportunity to have an impact in people's lives. And so we got to make sure that we're on, on top of this. Uh, that's why, uh, again, for us, we don't have a single solitary missionary that we support that I don't personally know because I'm not giving $10,000 to some guy that I've never met before that I don't know what he's doing or if he's actually doing anything at all. Why? Because I want us to steward what God's given us well. Every single person that comes here, I try to remember their name. I'm terrible with names. I got a three by five card that I write people's names on. I try to remember them. Why? Because I want to steward the people that God gives me the opportunity to influence. I might have a two hour window to influence somebody's life. I want to steward that well. And when they leave, I got a list of people that I'm praying over on Sunday afternoon, a list of people that I'm praying over on Monday morning because I want to steward it well. He said, oh, I'm so thankful we got a pastor like that. I'm asking you to steward those people with me. Somebody's going to sit in your section next Sunday morning. You need to find out what their name is, how they found out about who we call, and how you can pray for them this week. That's stewarding people, and we have to do that. Because God wants to do something special through our church, and if we don't do it, he's going to do it somewhere else. And here's the good news about all this is we have what we need to accomplish the work. <clears throat> Look, when we started Who We Call, uh, we came out here and I knew for a fact we'd have five people our first Sunday morning, uh, my five family members. God brought us some solid families in the early days that really laid a foundation uh, for, for you guys to be able to capitalize on. Uh, I think of Harrison and his wife Cindy have been here since day one, still faithfully serving, still loving Jesus. This is still his church. Thankful for that. I think of the Gregories, man, very first Sunday they were still here. I think of Tommy and Iris, man, from the very, very beginning they were here. I think of Auntie Cat from the very, very beginning, here, still here, still loving Jesus. And man, back in the day, it was a matter of like, wow, we, you know, we got something coming up. We got like five people that could actually do that. But man, God's given us so many resources over the years. There were, there were years where we, man, we dialed the, the temperature up a little bit on the thermostat because we didn't know whether or not we could make our electricity bill that month. And God's always provided, some of you think we should turn down the, uh, the, the AC up a little bit. We got hoodies coming in next week, okay? So <laughs> there's that. <clears throat> but here's the thing. No longer are we at a point where we're like, oh, wow, if we could have more people, we could have a kingdom impact. 
Oh, if we could get a couple more people to tithe, we could actually really do something. Oh, if we could, you know, get a couple of really faithful Christians here, we could really make a go of this. We're long past that. We have seasoned Christians who need to stop sitting on the sidelines cheering for everyone and need to get in the game. We got people that are, have, are uniquely gifted of God to serve Jesus' church who need to now take those resources that God's given you and invest them in Jesus' church. Look, we ha- and if we had none of those things, here's what we have. We have God as our Father, Christ as our brother, uh, the Holy Spirit inside of every single believer, and every promise of the Word of God is yes and amen. We got what we need to accomplish the work. Amen. What does God want us to do? He wants us to go win, baptize, teach, and own our city. And by the grace of God, that's what we're going to do this year. And, and you know what the plan for 2024 is? I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. Go win, baptize, teach. You know what the plan is for 2048? Go win, baptize, teach. It's going to be the same till Jesus comes. But this year, we have what we need. You know, the book of Ephesians, uh, I think it was our theme back in uh, 2018. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20. Now unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. So it's, it's 20, 2015, the theme was God is able. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And people look at that and they put dot, dot, dot at the end of that. Oh, God's going to do something great. He's going to do something big. He's going to do things that you and I can't even fathom, which is all true, but read the rest of the verse. Ephesians 3, 20, according to the power that worketh in you. I want to say this with as much love as I have in my heart. I want you to get you, I want to help you with this, okay? I don't want you to be the thing that holds who we call it back. Again, if God is doing what he's doing, exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, he's doing it according to the power that works in you. All of us collectively need to allow God to do the work in us, through us, to accomplish what he wants to do, which is going to blow our minds when it happens. But I don't want to be the thing that holds who we call back. I don't want to be the thing that keeps God from doing something special because I'm not letting his power work in me, because I'm not submitted, because I'm not committed, because I haven't submitted my way into the Lord, because I'm not trusting God. I don't want to hold anything back. And sometimes people say, well, pastor, it looks like you're pushing ahead. I'll, I'll go find another church where not so much is expected of me. No, no, no. You need to find where God wants you to be, and you need to jump in with both feet and get involved. Time's short. That's a fact. I don't know how much time we got left on this earth, but it's less than what we had yesterday. The Apostle Paul, I believe, thought in his lifetime or in Timothy's lifetime, Christ would return because here's what he told Timothy. Timothy, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. From such people, turn away. Timothy, in the last days, you're going to see these things. Beware of this and get out of it as quick as you can. If he thought that Timothy was going to see the last days, how much closer are you and I? Time is short. We don't have a lot of time to dilly-dally we got work that needs to be done. we got a city, just our city limits of 400,000 people that need to hear about Jesus. we got to get after that. We live on an island of a million people that need to hear about Jesus. we got to get after that. 
And, and I'll be honest, just for the last couple of years, I've been saying, you know, uh, people don't want people coming to their front door. People are freaked out because of COVID. And, you know, we need to give people their space and stuff like that. I, I get it. I get all of that. We still want to be respectful of, of whatever anybody wants. We see no trespassing, no soliciting. We're not going to go there. But, hey, look, I'm tired of making excuses for why we're not reaching our city with the gospel. COVID is just a terrible excuse to be lazy. And we're not going to be lazy anymore. We're going to be intentional with our, our, our witness, intentional with our faith. And God has given us what we need to accomplish the work. But here's the, the neat thing about this, commit thy way into the Lord. Commitment doesn't feel like commitment when it's our delight. When we look forward to it, it doesn't look like a drag, does it? When it's something that I enjoy, it's not really commitment at all. Man, when I go to the gym and I see burpees in the workout, that's not fun to me. Like, I was, no lie, I went to Malaysia back in 2019. I went to CrossFit gym while I was there. They had burpees up. Everybody in Malaysia hates burpees, too. It's like universal, <laughs> universal hatred. Uh, nobody enjoys it at all. But, man, yesterday I, I looked at the, uh, uh, the workout that I was supposed to do, push-ups and deadlifts. Man, all day long, I love it. Sign me up for that. I, I, that workout didn't feel like a workout. It felt like fun. You know why? Because it was something that I enjoyed doing. When I love Jesus and he is the source of my delight, Commitment to him isn't a commitment, it's fun. People who do marriage the wrong way, oh my goodness, you're stuck to that old ball and chain for the rest of your life. Are you kidding me? Like, I get to live life with my best friend every single day, and she can't leave me? Like, <laughs> hello? That's like as good as it gets. It's my delight to spend every single day for the rest of my life with my best friend. That's not a call to commitment. That's a joy. That's a delight. A call to commitment to Christ, if you really love Jesus, isn't a call to commitment at all. It should be the delight of your life. Man, serving Jesus with my life, is it hard for sure? Are there difficulties? Definitely. Are there sacrifices to be made? Yeah. But let me just tell you, serving Jesus is one of the best things I've ever done with my life. And I encourage you to do the same. I'm not asking you to be a pastor. I'm asking you to commit to serving Jesus with your life. That's a call to just basic Christianity. And trust is a whole lot easier when your heart is fixed. The psalmist said, my heart is fixed, O Lord, my heart is fixed. My heart is directly connected to the heart of God, and I only want the things that please God. I only want the things that honor Jesus. That's all I want in my life. And so trust makes it a lot easier. Because if I'm really trusting in the Lord, I'm not really looking around to see what the world has to offer. I'm just trusting in the Lord. If I'm trusting in the Lord... It's easier because I'm not wondering what's going on over here, what's going on over there. No, I'm just focused on the Lord. <laughs> I love at the end of, I think it's the, the book of John, the disciples are talking and one of the disciples, well, what, what about this guy over here? And Jesus is like, what is that to you? Mind your own business, focus on me. I don't need to be looking to see what other people are doing, whether they're walking with Jesus or not. I just got to be focused on me. I can't be focused on what other churches are doing for Jesus or how big of a building they have or how great their worship team is or what kind of lights they got or what type of events that they're having. I just got to focus on what God's doing in my church. I got to trust the Lord and I got to keep my heart straight as an arrow. 
But then that goes back to that daily commitment to walking with Jesus. Every single day, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to trust the Lord. Friend, I believe that God has great things on the horizon for our church this year. I really do. And to accomplish just 5% of what you see on that calendar, none of that can be done in our own power. We need the Lord for that. We need God to show up. We need Christians full of faith to say, I still believe that God can do that. I still believe that God wants to save sinners. I still believe that God wants Christians to grow in their faith. I still believe that my family can honor God. I still believe that the gospel still works. I still believe that people who give their life to serve Jesus on the mission field are worthy of my prayers and financial support. I'd rather advance the kingdom than I would rather have a new truck. I'm just saying, we got to continue to walk by faith this year. It's hard to believe that this October will be 10 years at Huicala. It just blows my mind, no lie. Some of you that, that missed out on the first couple of years, everything was the best our church has ever had. Our very first vacation Bible school, this is, will be the best vacation Bible school in the history of our church because it'll be the first one. Uh, you know, this will be the best cookout we've ever, July 4th cookout like our church has never seen before because this is our first July 4th cookout. Uh, but it, now we're moving into a phase where we're not trying to have big cookouts or things like that. We're just trying to honor God. And do big stuff. We can't accomplish what we need if we're not going to trust God and walk in the Spirit. And so I'm just asking you tonight, man, I believe God wants to use this in a big way this year. Are you in? I think most of you are like, yeah, I'm in. Good. I need you to prove it. And again, maybe this isn't the right place for you if you're still shopping for a church or trying to figure out where you're supposed to be. Uh, Again, find where God wants you to be, jump on with both feet, and don't ever leave. But I'm calling for folks who say, who we call is my church home. I'm asking you to take a step of faith up this year. Not because, you know, we're trying to raise money to do something or that, because it honors God, okay? I'm praying one of these days that God allows us to buy this building. I really am. We recently got our current property valuation on this from the uh, city and state. Four and a half million dollars is what just the structure and the lot that it's on is valued at. They don't factor in anything that we've done in this or the, you know, $200,000 we put into the AC, nothing. Four and a half million dollars for a concrete block building on this. I'm praying that God one of these days will let us do that. I'm praying that our landlord would be gracious and and choose to donate it to us or give it to us for, again, I'm I'm praying that God would do something awesome. But you know what, until he does, I'm just going to continue to walk by faith, trusting God, and, and, and do what God has asked us to do. So we don't have a big building campaign this year that we're going to buy this building. We're not going to put a big thermometer up here that we're going to fill up every week or anything. Not like that. I'm asking you to just walk by faith and trust the Lord this year. And it, I believe that if we do that, I believe if we do that, if we commit our way into the Lord and we trust also in Him, I have to believe, and you have to believe, that he will bring it to pass. Bring what to pass? Whatever he wants. You know why? Because it's not about us. It's not about what we want. It's about what honors our Father. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.